Nelson Miniere has a long and storied history to cryptocurrency exchange Kraken's OTC desk. The 20-year veteran of Wall Street joined the scoop to talk about his time in trading that spanned firms such as J.P. Morgan, Credit Suisse, and Bear Stearns, one of the most notable casualties of the financial crisis. Based in San Francisco, Kraken is one of the oldest cryptocurrency exchanges in the market. It's also one of the best known. But the company has been expanding recently into new lines of businesses, including futures and over-the-counter trading. Kraken's OTC business was built up by Miniere, and it counts a number of high net worth individuals and asset managers among its clients. On this episode of The Scoop, Miniere, who was once the world's largest Venezuelan bond trader, shared his stories about being a trader during the financial crisis how he built up Kraken's OTC business and straddling the line between the worlds of traditional and emerging financial services. We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app on the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer -peer payments app to support Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to turn cash into crypto. Cash App now supports Bitcoin deposits in-app, so be sure to move your Bitcoin from whatever wallet you're using to Cash App. Don't have any to deposit? Cash App is also the most convenient way to instantly buy and sell Bitcoin. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfers to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code it's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider, like Cash Card, a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, and places like Chick-fil-A. It's also a favorite of the block's analyst, Steven Zhang. He saves money at Chipotle every time he gets a burrito. That keeps Steven happy, that keeps the block happy, and that keeps the crypto world informed with the best news and research in the entire market. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning into The Scoop. We have a really interesting, special episode. The head of OTC at Kraken, Nelson Minier, is joining myself and my wonderful colleague, Mateo Leibowitz for a conversation about all things trading, OTC, and crypto. It's funny, Nelson, this is the first time we've met in person. Yeah. But about a year and a half ago when I was at Business Insider, I wrote a story titled, A Veteran Wall Streeter Has Left Credit Suisse for a Crypto Trading Desk. And that story was about you. It's been, so that was April 10th. You had been talking with Kraken for m several months before that. Yeah, yeah. And here we are. July, almost August 2019, the team's at 19 people, you said. Yep. You guys are, you consider yourselves to be one of the largest operators in the space. For sure. Tell us about that journey, Nelson. Yeah, you know, it uh, feels like an eternity ago now that you mention it, um, but it really wasn't that we long We both ago. maybe picked on a few pounds. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, we when I first walked in at OTC, there was only a couple of us um, trading. And, uh, you know, Jesse wanted to, you know, do a 24-7 trading operation. And at the time, this seemed pretty daunting. 
um, you know, because it's not easy. I ran 24-hour desks before being in emerging markets as I was in the past. Um, you know, they, most of those uh, tr most of those things, whether it's FX or bonds or whatever, run 24-7. Um, but at a traditional bank, you have all the infrastructure there already set, um, and so you're just kind of plugging in. This was a little different in the sense that an exchange runs 24-7, but, you know, that's, those are bits. Flipping. Now you need people, people there to pick up the phone, people there to answer a message, people there to do trades um, on sometimes very liquid products. So it was pretty daunting, but, um, you know, with, with a lot of hard work, um, meeting a lot of great people, the space itself is attractive. And consequently, we were able to attract some pretty good talent, um, traders that are much better than I could ever trade. What, walk us through what a crypto exchange OTC desk looks, looks like relative to you have big players out there like DRW yeah. who are sometimes taking principal positions on a trade or yeah, so do we. taking the other We're side. only allowed to take principal positions. We mm -hmm. trade the firm's money. Mm -hmm. So if you come to us and want to sell a thousand Bitcoins, we take it down. It's our risk. It's not like we have the other side of the trade. It's our risk. If it falls and drops a thousand points, then you know we, we shed a lot of tears, but it's, it's, it's our risk. Um, what does a, a, a trading desk look like? Um, typically, uh, global desks, they trade in three zones. You trade, you know, the U.S. zone, you trade the um, Asian time zone, and then you trade the European time zone. And we were set up very similar to that. We have traders in San Fran, Vegas, uh, New York, and then in Asia, we have traders in Tokyo, Taiwan, Singapore, Hong Kong. And in, uh, in European time, we basically just cover through London. But those guys are on a plane all the time. We have one guy today in Spain, and, uh, another one in Dubai, um, you know, trying to make, you know, connections and, and relationships. And, the, and the point is you'll have a large trader, either a, a whale of sorts, a wealthy person, an institution who will come to you because they want to break up their, their trade over a certain amount or over a certain time frame to yeah. avoid the slippage that comes with trading on exchange. Exactly. That's well said. Um, pretty much you have institutions high net worth individuals, OGs in the space. We do particularly well with the OGs. Um, <laughs> um, and they come to us because they want to trade and they want to do it efficiently. Um, they want white glove service. They know they're doing pretty big size and they want to make sure that they're talking to somebody and feel more comfortable talking to somebody that's going to be moving that much money and sending them a wire or receiving coins like, hey, did you get my coins? Yeah, I got them, man, they're right here. Or did you send that wire when it's supposed to get there? Can you call the bank, make sure the wire is going to get here? Because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's daunting experience sometimes uh, to, to wait for money to kind of show up mm -hmm. uh, when you don't have necessarily, um, you know, that third party there in the middle of it, particularly when you're sending coins. Uh, you, you started your career at Fast Duns, is that correct? That's right. That's right. I, I actually was actually started my career in Boeing and uh, went over to uh, finance after – you know, seeing how my friends had done working in finance, I'm like, wow. You know, they always used to tell me, Nelly, you should think about trading. And, you know, although Wall Street's seven miles away from where I grew up, it's like a different, it's a, it's a different world. Mm. And uh, I always was interested as growing up in cars and things of that nature, working with my hands, and consequently became a mechanical engineer um, and went down the engineering path. But, you know, you know, it was just something that I kind of loved to do. Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, was it fruitful? I thought I was doing pretty well. But then, you know, some of my buddies that I went to school with, undergrad with, were on Wall Street doing very well, telling me that I should think about trading. And then all of a sudden, you know, they went from, you know, studio 
apartments uptown to lofts downtown. I'm like, Jesus, what, I gotta are, get that what are you loft doing? Downtown. Yeah, man, I used to help you with your homework. Like, why, why, why is it that you're making 10x what I'm making? Um, and, you know, I started to make the switch. And, and Bear was a great place. I mean, it's, you know, many of us that worked at Bear still miss it. Um, because it was a great place to start your career or end your career because it was very entrepreneurial. It was in there. You rolled up your sleeves. You got in there. Like, I, I walked in and said, listen, I'll, I'll come in here and work for free. I don't care. And they said, oh, yeah, you sure you want to work for free? Come on down. And then all of a sudden, six months later, they see how we work. They see you're pretty sharp. And before you know it, you're trading. And I was very lucky because I was at the advent of the credit default swap market. It was just starting the late 90s. And that was, it feels, to me, it feels very much like, like this space feels of today. The infrastructure was still being built out. The infrastructure was being built out, but you saw the potential, right? And the same thing with the credit default spot. Like, wow, you know, it was at then it, you were trading one or two trades a day, and then six months later, you're doing literally hundreds of trades a day, and with all different new new uh, counterparties, everybody's getting involved, and it just becomes a, a frenzy uh, of financial innovation. And, and this pretty much feels that, like those days now. Your journey back when you first started at Kraken must have been very similar, right? Only dealing with a few counterparties, only making a few trades a day. Yeah, but, but in, in, in to, the difference was um, the, you know, the way I approached it was different because I wanted to, you know, I, I had a lot of help going, switching from engineering to, to finance. Here it was like, the last thing, you know, your crypto space, you know, it's changing a little bit now. But a few years ago, if you were from Wall Street, you're a pariah. Like, nobody wanted to deal with you. You know, I, I felt that way when I went to go do an interview at San Francisco. Jesse was great. But I, I felt that tension amongst others. I got here comes a Wall Street jerk. And I, and I see. And I showed up in a blazer. Everybody's there with T-shirts and stuff like that. I looked totally different. Look out of shape. If you see, you pointed me out. There's 100 people in the office. And, you know, which is the Wall Street guy? That jerk right there. You know, um, you know, you would have guessed it 100% of the time that it was me. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, you know it's, it, 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 we developed, we talked, we learned. They learned how much I loved crypto and, and how I felt about it. Um, and, you know, things started to change. And, uh, you know, it was, more, it was more me trying to get in this business from a different aspect, to answer your question. Me trying to jump in and get involved in a space that, may not have wanted me to get involved. Um, but I think Jesse saw opportunity in the sense that, hey, these guys, they've been, they've been working on Wall Street for, and what they've been doing has worked for 100 years. There are some similarities to what we do. Everything we do, we don't like. But everything they do, they don't like. But there are certain things that they do. When it comes to sales and trading, there's a reason why you use certain languages. There's a reason why you settle trades the way you do. There's a reason why you send confirmations and, and have them accepted the way they are. So I, I think I brought a lot of that stuff with me, a lot of that systematic uh, processes that I think bode well for what we were doing here because now that experience I brought with me. And I, and I think it fit very well. So I have two, I have two questions. Sure. First one is I, I, I would love to hear more about what exactly it was that, that attracted you to uh, the cryptocurrency world, and then secondly, you know, there's a there's a range of uh, OTC desks within this industry. What is it exactly that drew you to Kraken? Uh, two great questions. Um, first one is what attracted me to this. First thing was volatility and price action. I'm not gonna 
sit here and tell so you it wasn't that. ideological yeah, i'm not going to be one of these guys that said i looked at the white paper i have the white paper in my house like i stare at it all the time and i tell you i could read it a hundred times it's not going to be i'm not going to get this revelation from it maybe i'm not smart enough but you know i saw the price action like what the hell is this bitcoin thing like why is it going up 10 percent at a time and me being a emerging markets trader, I love volatility. Is that what you were doing at Credit Suisse at the time? Yes, okay. yes, yes. We were. I was running the, the emerging market bond okay. training. That's kind maybe of, it was a little too boring. No, I mean I traded Venezuela, so it was a never boring, <laughs> never that boring train. Yeah, perfectly never boring train Venezuela. But we love volatility as a trader. That's what you kind of. So then, that's for. right. So you saw the volatility in prices. Yeah, in yeah, and 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 years before, I had one kid come on the desk that we, you know, at, um, we were getting a lot of pressure to hire kids from colleges at the time because we had just come off the financial crisis and the hiring on Wall Street kind of stopped and this, and all the schools were saying, hey guys, just because you know, you know, things are down now, you gotta keep hiring these kids. Don't come to us later and want us to send you kids when, you know, when, when, you know, when things got a little shaky, you guys gave up on us. Like, we gotta hire these kids. These, these kids, they're great kids, they gotta go somewhere. So consequently, we got this big influx of kids coming in, spending the summer with us, and I was having trouble keeping them busy. I mean, most of these kids got 50 IQ points more than I do. How do I keep them busy? And one of them says, hey, hey, Nelly, do you mind if I look at Bitcoin? And I said, yeah, go ahead, man. I, I, I was looking, grasping at straws, man. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And, you know, and after looking at it, and he spent a lot of time on it and going through it, he came to the same conclusion that I thought that I did, which I was pretty proud about because the kid, you know, I don't know what he's doing now. He's probably building rockets whatever. But... Um, you know, I said to him, I don't think government's going to let this exist. And he, we came, he came to the same conclusion. And he said, you know what? It was built with that intention, but I still think they can stop it. And, um, and we came to the same conclusion. Of course, I don't know, it was trading at 30 bucks, 40 bucks then, and I, I, I lost track of it. And then it came up again in like late 2015, and that's when I started looking at it again. So the volatility, the price action, the, 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 the ability to make money from that type of volatility price action was what initially attracted me. I, I want to say it was the freedom masters, the is, is the fact that you can emancipate your wealth, your time, your hard work from the state and from banks. But that wasn't it. For me, it was to, to the chance to make money. But then I started to learn. And I think Bitcoin for me has been the great educator. Like I, I spent over 20 years on Wall Street, you know, Austrian economics, I had heard about it, but you know, did I know it? Did I really know what the essence of it was? No. Scarcity, did I understand scarcity and what that means? No. Monetary policy, I traded bonds. Like I know monetary policy, I know that the government prints money. Mm -hmm. But you know, for me, gold was the hedge, right? And you know, and, and, and that hasn't performed very well. So, so what do you do? Buy property in New York City, do those things. So I understood some aspects of it, but Bitcoin, takes things to a different level. And um, so I went down the proverbial rabbit hole after trying to make money from it, buying some, understanding it, taking a beating, uh, you, know, you know, buying it at 800, watching it drop down to 400, and then back up. Um, but to answer your first question, it was definitely the price action, the volatility that got me in, but it wasn't long after that I started reading more about it and understanding it. Second question. Second question was... Yeah, that's a, long, that's a long gap, right? It sounds like you kind of discovered it around, what, 2012-ish? Yeah, 2013-ish, around there. And, and, then, and then it took a couple of years for me to get back involved in it. And then I started seeing it show up on Bloomberg. And I'm like, whoa, here's this Bitcoin thing again. And guess what? The governments haven't taken it down. Like, let me start looking into it. And that's when I started reading some more and really understanding. And then I became 
the freak on the floor talking about Bitcoin all the time, trying to get everybody involved in it. And Did you know, Kraken approach you or did you approach them? No, what no, no. I, I approached them. I approached them. I started doing some legwork. I really... And you said, about, let me build this desk out or... Yeah, I met some people that were already on the desk and they saw the enthusiasm that I had was, you know, I, I, you know coming off of Wall Street. It's kind of, you see this guy that starts talking about Bitcoin and, and understands it, like talks about it, gets it, like knows what a block is, you know? Um, you know, so I think that kind of... So that way, this is serious. And wait a minute, he's got a lot of experience doing exactly what we need to do, which is run 24-hour trading operations. And that's what I did for 20 years. So that kind of matched. And before long, you know, I was uh, sitting. And I, lo I was sitting on the outside. I've always been a fan of Kraken. I felt like, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, it, it, it's a company that has the ethos of the space behind it. And uh, um, that attracted me to it's really It's really interesting, I think, from a... PR or marketing perspective, the exchange that gets or has gotten the most attention for institutional ambitions has been Coinbase. Yeah. And we've seen Coinbase shut down their Chicago uh, operation that was building out the low latency, high frequency trading matching engine. They, you know, have seen a, a flurry of exits on the institutional side, yeah. especially when we think about sales and trading, Christine Sandler, uh, Tom Plakis, um, and a few others, and I, I doubt their OTC operation is larger than a handful of people. Kraken, on the other hand, hasn't gotten that same attention, but you have 18 folks in London, and you, you said before we turned the mics on that you're doing more trades, you think, than even some of the more established OTC does. Yeah. What, what have you guys, how have you guys been doing that, and and what were the steps to, to get here? Yeah, um, obviously the exchange has a lot to do with it. Obviously, we have a relationship with the exchange, right? They, we, we have the same name on, um, on the roof, and we leverage off the exchange a lot. But I think just as important has been the fact that Kraken's been around for the longest. And a lot of the OGs in the space, a lot of the influencers in the space use us. And they've been around for a long time, have coins, they want to take profits, buy more, whatever. And through word of mouth, that kind of helps helped us a lot. Um, and, you know, so, and we take it a, a step further. I think we're the first guys to actually have salespeople. So we have some salespeople going out there beating the drum and um, getting it. And also we kind of tapped into the account management aspect of Kraken, where they have account managers that take care of some of the bigger clients that say, hey, listen, you know, if you need help like this, this fits perfectly for OTC. Why don't you talk to those guys? We're proud of our desk. They do a good job. You go to them, they'll take care of you. So um, that's been a, a big influx of business for us. What do you think volumes are on a given day? Um, we, don't, I don't, we don't disclose the volumes exactly, but put it like this. At the beginning of 2018, um, we've 20x the number of trades we do on a monthly basis um, from that point. Do you think it's more volume than spot? Uh, no, no. There was there was rumors in the back of the day that you know you saw more rallying on OTC desks than spot. Uh, you know, occasionally that happens, um, but it's very rare. It used to happen in the past because there were some, like you would have guys with you know hundred thousand ether, you know, trying to move them. And, and uh, so, just for context, in in twenty eighteen, Kraken did 
$85 billion worth of volume. Yeah. So less, that was on the exchange. That, on the exchange. Yeah, it was on exchange, yes. And, uh, no, it's, it's substantially less than that, yes. As far as products that, that you guys are actually trading, is it, do, you, do you mainly see demand for Bitcoin and Ether, or do you, do you see some Yeah, those are the, the two big ones. Those are the two big ones. But, you know, what, what's, what, what, what's great about being the OTC, that's so if you want to trace and grin, like, grin's not an easy thing to trade. Um, it's not like you're going to send it to an address. It's going to be a lot of hand-holding going through there. So consequently, we, we're, we're experts to that, and we will have clients come in and want to trade with us because of that. We can hold their hands through the process and make sure that they get the grin that they want or sell the grin that they want. Um, so there's certain parts of that, but no doubt, Bitcoin and, and, and Ether are the big, the whales of our, of our desk. What would you say the, the top five assets are? Um, the typical top five that you see on CoinMarketCap is going to be, you know, Bitcoin, Ether, Bitcoin Cash, um, you know, Monero trade a lot of, Tether trades a lot, Tether trades, trades a lot. So that's probably the top five. Interesting. And um, you mentioned when you were starting off at Bear Stearns, that was just around the time that uh, you, you were seeing CDSs emerge as, as tradable products. What kind of interest do you have as far as trading new types of uh, crypto-specific derivatives? I think that's where the I think that's where the future of our market is. I mean, you know, if you know the the trend showing, if the trend continues the way it is now, you see how Bitcoin dominance is increasing. So you know, you 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 know, it looks like we're going to have six to ten assets that 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 stick around. Um, but you know, what do we do with those assets? Should we be doing more vol trades, which are options? Um, also, I think that there's a big opportunity for us to tokenize assets. Like, why aren't we trading Bitcoin, which is, you know, many people believe is a better version of gold, including myself. Um, why don't we trade it versus gold? Why are we not trading versus silver? And why didn't you do it in a tokenized method? Method. Um, there are a lot of precious metals out there that don't have, people don't have access to them. Why don't we tokenize them? So we give people access to them, access to them. Um, and then you can trade versus other assets within our space. And I think those, that's where the development and I think the growth of our business is going. What, what kind of trends are you seeing just generally across the OTC landscape? Some of these folks are probably your counterparties. A lot of them are moving electronic. A lot of them are firing, or maybe not firing, but at least restructuring as such that yeah. the relationship guys are either no longer necessary or serve a purpose. Do you see Kraken electronifying maybe a little bit less of the over the phone type of stuff? Yeah. I, I, you know, we, we, that's what wall street has been going through for a while now, right? I, wall street is shrinking. Why is it shrinking? Because of technology. And I think that it would be, um, prudent for us to try to um, grab that and use technology. I mean, we are a technology company. So use that technology to, um, you know, better our, the, the, the services we provide to clients. So, yeah, we're embracing it, and, and we'll see more electronic. Like, we might have electronic feeds right to clients that, that want to do OTC and things of that nature. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, where do I see it? I see us continuing to leverage off our technology to provide better services to clients. Um, and, and, you know, you have to embrace that or, or you're just going to lose the battle. Mm -hmm. 
What kind of uh, fee compression are you seeing in the OTC space as well? Oh, it's collapsed. Fees are collapsed. I mean, that's why our our volumes are are keeping us alive pretty much. But fees have collapsed in the sense that you know clients demand much tighter bid offer now um, versus even when I first started. And that was just a year and a half ago. Um, you know, but we adapt now. Volumes have increased, so volumes have you know picked up, and even more so than the actual free com- fee compression because the space is growing and more people are getting involved and more people are trading it. And that's a lot of the, that's. A- a lot of what's behind why some of these desks are struggling. Is there, is there any benefit to a large client trading or trying to make a trade via an OTC desk that's connected to an exchange versus something like uh, a DRW or someone else? Yeah, I mean, people, you know, what's the, the value the, prop? Why do the, I? The value prop is we're going to get you're going to get efficient, more efficient pricing. You're going to get. Why? Why would there be more efficient pricing? Because, you know, we, we, we it's not, um, you know, we, sometimes we have the opposite side of an axe ready to go. Um, we'll call you when, when you, you when you ask us to, you know, when you say, hey, listen, if it gets to 10 grand, give me, I, I want to sell some. Um, you know, we, we hold your hand through the process, make sure you get your coins. It's, things are a little quicker, a lot more professional than just, just doing it through a... Through a like Genesis, yeah, or like, or doing it through. Well, what's the benefit of going through? Maybe it's kind of the same, but I'm just wondering having the exchange connected to it. That, well, the exchange connect of liquidity. The exchange connect is not going to change the way you operate as an OTC desk. We just sure. hap, you know happen to be part of Kraken, mm-hmm. but that's not going to change how you operate with OTC. The most OTC desks are set up; they are connected to all the exchanges in the world, mm-hmm. and that's why they can price so well. And but are you guys are just connected? No, we're connected no. to no, we're connected everywhere. Okay, okay. And so you'll execute a client's trade across multiple different venues. One hundred percent. And will you will you try and purposely direct as much volume as possible to Kraken? Or that doesn't Yeah, I mean sense? obviously there's a home team, right? We're gonna do as much as we can to, to do that. And if we're we're gonna leave orders, we're gonna leave them on, on Kraken. So if I get Lifted on a thousand coins, and I need to buy them. Maybe I buy five hundred back, and then the other five hundred I leave on the on the order book, and hopefully I get hit on them. I mean, obviously, all those trades are going to go through Kraken. I mean, it's, it's the home team. Is are your counterparties expecting any sort of best execution? Like when you think about, yeah, I mean, there are, our counterparties are tough. You know, they they know what they expect. They see the price. The price of Bitcoin is everywhere. Um, so they, they expect good pricing on it. But some, a lot of them are reasonable. They, they appreciate the services you provide them. They know that you're going to take care of them. Um, and that's where you kind of make your money. And also we take risk. I mean, we take risk on every trade. So, you know, and we price according to where we think the market's going. If we feel good about the market and you're coming in to hit us, we probably give you a very good bid because we think the market's going higher. Where is the market going? Where is the market going? You know, um, Bitcoin makes liars out of all of us at some point, you know, especially the price. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think this, I think the base case scenario for me is um, I don't see demand for this uh, asset going down. But I do know that supply is going to get cut in half sometime late May in 2020. And I think... Another thing that I know about Bitcoin is that higher prices is the best marketing tool we have. So I feel like the, the, we, we ended the bear market 
at, you know, 3,100, 3,200. It was amazing how we went through 6,000 because we were, you know, between 6,000 and 6,400. We were literally there for months. And many of us thought we we're going to take a breather there. We blew right through that, which for me confirmed that 3,200 was where, the, you know, as Trace Mayer says, the hollers, the last resorts were, where like guys like me are like, hell with it, man. I'm going down with the ship. It goes lower than this. There's no way I'm selling a coin. And I think that a lot of us felt that way. A lot of hollers felt that way. And that was kind of the bottom. And breaking through 6,000 the way we did just confirmed there was a bull market and there's more money coming into this asset class. As a so, result, I'm sorry to interrupt, but as a result, quickly, has that changed what your counterparties look like? Yeah, they've been changing. They've been changing. Not as fast as I, I thought. Um, we hired you know, someone to cover institutional sales for us. And they had a hard time going out there, going out there. And this guy doors. was connected like a freight train and he couldn't get people to come in and buy. And one of the things, what about that, now? Now it's slowly but surely coming around. It's what coming type around. of, what types of folks? Now you're starting to see hedge funds and you're starting to see, starting to see hedge funds, mainly hedge funds because those guys have different mandates. If you're it, like you know, 10 if you, to 20 billion, 5 billion, some bigger, some bigger, some bigger. So, so there's a plus $20 billion hedge fund who's talking to your salespeople or actually... I don't want to get into it because you could narrow it down on yeah. so many a lot of $20 billion hedge funds <laughs> out there. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to... Is it D.E. Shaw? No. I want to, um, you know, no, fair discretion enough, but, is big for those. But um, the, the point you're making is that there are now, let's just say, plus $1 billion. To, to save your... There are some, and we couldn't... When we first started, when I hired this individual to go, go knock on doors, he his, you know, he left with his knuckles bleeding and wasn't getting any trades. And uh, now it's changing. Now that's changing. And, and now it's changing actually, slower. This is a long... It's slow, like, yeah, it's slower than I would want to believe. I mean, here's an asset, ridiculous historical returns, um, uncorrelated to anything else, liquid, and... You know, the most scarce thing besides time, you know, it's the holy grail of portfolio management. These guys should be killing themselves to put this in their portfolios. But the problem is this, that they have constituents that they have to pander to, which is the investors. And people still think that this is a joke and it's going to zero. So if you're a portfolio manager, spent 20 years studying for your CFAs, getting your MBA, doing all this stuff to get to the job where you're finally a portfolio manager, you got the sweet gig. The last thing you're gonna do is put this fake internet money in your thing that might go to zero and lose yeah. your job because that's what'll happen. If this thing goes to zero and you have it on there and you become the laughing stock and you ruin the reputation of this you know, white shoe money manager that's been around forever and invest in this crazy internet money. You're crazy, you know, it, people are not going to jeopardize that unless they have a lot of conviction. Is there, does the fact that, I think Kraken has a great amount of respect from, and to your point earlier, the OG cryptocurrency community, um, the sort of more rogue personalities, if you will, not necessarily the best relationships with people like the, uh, you know, New York Department of Financial Services, um, is that something that's a concern or makes things, while it helps with those OG relationships, as you said, does it maybe make it more difficult for 
for either you or the folks on the sales side to engage with yeah, larger I mean, firms? There's a lot of firms here in New York. And, um, but most of them are, you know, domicile, their companies are domicile outside of the thing, so we can trade with them. But does it make things difficult? I mean, you know, we have to embrace regulation and, you know, and a very progressive states like Wyoming, I think, are going to end up being the, the home of, you know, of many crypto industries because of the crypto industry because of that. And places like New York are going to suffer from it. And I think we're starting to see that already. So you can't engage directly with non. Yeah, if you're not, an, if you're a New Yorker, I can't trade with you. Bad news for you, Tay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't you, trade with you. You mentioned um, the the Bitcoin halvening as kind of a, a, yeah. a bullish. Um, you know, there are a lot coming. of other things that are bullish, but I, that's the most bullish of them all, right? Sure. And uh, not that I necessarily agree, but. Um, what does that mean? You don't think it's bullish, the happening? Uh, Your supply is getting cut in half? You don't think that's bullish? I, I don't think it's particularly positive for network security to have minor revenue cut in half. But that's beside, that's beside the point. So my question was, what, what does that mean for OTC activity? You know, recently there was, uh, I think we crossed a billion dollars in fees over the lifetime of, of the thing. Right? And when we, we get a lot more transactions, there'll be a lot more fees. Not if everyone's holding. We're going to be using it more, right? If everybody's got it. The more people that have it, the more people are going to end up using it, right? Possibly. If you don't have it, you can't use it. That's very true. <laughs> That's but, uh, a different discussion. That is a different yeah, discussion. Yeah. But, uh, but, but what do you think um, the implications are for OTC activity with, you know, supply suddenly halving and, uh, you know, we, less coins coming flows, onto the market? Our flows have a very high correlation to the amount of trades that are being done in general in Bitcoin. On exchanges, you go look at it. High volume in exchanges means high volume in OTC. Sometimes we might have different volumes because we might have a new coin that comes up. Mm -hmm. uh, we might have some activity with a different, different coin and then you'll see spikes in our volume versus maybe the exchange won't have as much, but those are anomalies. But there's a very high correlation obviously between the, the uh, exchange volume and our volume. So a happening event, you think it's going to bring more volume, right? It's going to bring more attention. It's going to bring more interest. There might be some profit-taking, whatever. Um, I think it's going to bring a lot of volume. I mean, it's going to be an interesting time to, to value Bitcoin around that period of time. How are you preparing for that? And is the team, you've talked about this 20x growth. Are you looking to add more, more folks to the team or expand no, into new services? Another great question. Um, no, with the team we have is we're pretty happy with. I think we have enough. Um, I think we do a good job of glovering twenty four seven. Um, you still get your issues, like you know, I you know, I had to step in on Father's Day to, to work, you know, um, because you know, guys have got kids and they want to spend Father's Day with their kids, so I'll, I'll jump in and, and help out. Um, you know, and Fourth of July was an issue for us, right? So, so, so we're not, you know, we're not. Um, we're not overly staffed, I want to say, but we're staffed right. Um, what we're focusing on is more efficiency and getting ourselves out there in a more public way. That's why I'm sitting here with you guys. And um, a lot of my traders are out there visiting clients and going to conferences, rubbing elbows, and getting our name out there. Something that we kind of been hesitant to do for a while, and now we're kind of embracing it much more. This, this question, this next question isn't exactly related to 
the OTC desk, but I think you might have some very interesting insight. So we're starting to see um, derivative volume outpace spot volume. I'm thinking particularly about BitMEX and perpetual swaps. Yeah. Also CME yeah. futures. Yeah. Kraken is is used as as one of the reference rates for BitMEX. Mm-hmm. And in the past couple of weeks, especially, we've seen some interesting activity on these reference exchanges. I'm thinking Bitstamp and, and also Kraken as well. So how does being part of that reference rate change the dynamic at Kraken? Is that something you guys are hyper aware of or do you just try and zero proceed as zero as, as usual? Okay. I don't think of that reference rate at all where, you know, our volumes are real, our trades are real. You know, we, we don't even think about it. You know, the market is where the market is. When I want to know where the market is, I look at the Kraken spot rate. I believe it. Um, so does it, do we get, know what, I know what where uh, there's a lot of shorts are on BitMEX? I have, you know, I, I might look at a chart just to see where people are positioned, but I'm not looking at price levels and, or anything like that to try to push them over on there. We don't, we don't do none of that. I mean, and what kind of indicators do you use? When you we use we use like you know a lot of those a, a lot of the ones we talked about already, which is like you know long shorts on, on some of these. Um, also, I, I, we like to use volume and uh, a lot. Like I think you know green large green candles mean a lot to us, and um, I think volume says the most about our market right now. When people care at a certain level, like you know why what did I mention six thousand before? Because six thousand a lot of Bitcoin traded. And, you know, mm-hmm. when, when we were going up, I said 13200 was kind of a cap for us. You know, only gods and liars pick tops and bottoms. So that's why I traded the 13.6, 13.8. But I was proud about by 13.2 because it immediately collapsed after that. And there was a lot of volume there. So right now, I think volume is the big thing. Because it shows where people have been, you know, where coins change hands and where people care. If you were bought it at thirteen thousand two hundred and you saw it collapse to three thousand, and you're praying for it to get back to thirteen two hundred just to get out of this mess that you got yourself into, you know, you do that, and that's why they're they're big levels. So for me, volumes are the most interesting thing right now when when looking points at of control. Yeah, what points of points of access, points of ownership, like you you know when you bought your coins, like you know unless you've been in this space for a long time and you kind of work in the industry and you get paid in Bitcoin and stuff like that, you pretty much know where you bought your Bitcoin. Um, and so psychologically, I think there's a lot to do with those levels. And also there's psychological levels, like 10,000 today. We just broke 10,000 again. We, you know, it was a, a, you know, we all and clapped. And here, here you are here. Yes. That's here why your, your phone's blowing up with trades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you, I'd like to hear a little bit more as we, as we wrap up about your Wall Street experience. 20 yeah. years is a is a long time. When you hearken back and think about your career and being in the position you are now, what are some of the, you know, <laughs> Wall Street isn't short of its interesting stories, just so you can pick up a Michael Lewis book. Uh, what are some of the stories you think about from your career that kind of still inform what you do today? Maybe it was a, yeah. you know, a crazy guy on the desk who 
taught you never to do there X. are a lot of stories a lot of stories and i really you know although the end of my career wasn't as fun at the beginning of career wall street is not the wall street it was 20 years ago in no shape or form yeah r.i.p exactly um and i really at the end of my wall street career at the end i was like one i was so anxious to get out and do something new like bitcoin the other was like i was like I've had enough of this. Like it's time to move on. And it's been very, and it was very good to me. I made friends that are last lifetimes. I have experiences that are last lifetimes. So in the beginning, what was you know? Yeah, but the, the, to answer your question, the interesting. Obviously, you had things like September 11th. That wasn't. It wasn't a fun time to be on Wall Street. Like, you know, I have stories about that day. It's horrible. So those those are imprinted in me. But it's the people themselves that I, that I find I found most fascinating. I mentioned something earlier um, about. You know, a quote like "God only gods and liars pick tops and bottoms," and you know that was something that I was maybe on the desk three weeks before somebody told me that. They're like, "Kid, if, you, if you're gonna spend your day, your all your day trying to pick the top and the bottom of every trade, not you're gonna be in for you know a hard, hard, hard career on Wall Street because it ain't gonna happen." And uh, that was a quote. So, and he was a character. He was a, a guy that was on the on, on, on the he was in the pit, and he worked his way up. And he was on, on, on 40 years. And, that, and some of the lessons that I learned from him and the things that he said, um, you know, still resonate today. And so as much as the stories that you can talk about, I, I have much more f- memories about the people and the things that they said and the situations that they were in um, that, that I recollect a lot. And it was, it was a fun, interesting time, especially in the late 90s when, you know, you had the Asia crisis, the... You know the pestle crisis. You had um, you had a lot, a lot of things. Long term capital blowing up. Um, you know, it was a lot of. It was an interesting time to be on Wall Street, and and I remember the people more than anything else. Outside of cryptocurrency, which other markets do you keep an eye on? I follow Venezuela a lot. Um, I was I traded. I was you know for a good decade. I was the number one Venezuela tr- trader in the world. So I traded a lot of Venezuela bonds, and I used to go down at least twice a year down there. And I'm Latin, know the culture, so I used to spend a lot of time in Venezuela. And it's it's sad to see what was once the richest country in Latin America become the poorest. And um, you know, there's a lot of correlations there between Bitcoin and Bolivars being thrown in the street as waste paper. And um, what the government has done there to inflate the currency and devalue the currency there and how a, a rich country with the largest oil reserves in the world has become the poorest in Latin America. And their GDP has dropped by, you know, uh, it's dropped 60% in, you know, in a decade. And it's sad. It's sad to see what's going on there. So I follow Venezuela a lot. I follow um, BRL a lot, the Real, um, and, and the, the local, local equities there. I also, I like weed stocks. I think some of them are, you know, going, you know, I'm pretty uh, optimistic. Yeah, I think some of them are going to move. Not all of them. There's some shams out there, just like there are in, in, in our space. But there's some, some weed stocks that I follow pretty pretty actively. That I, that I, I got I wrecked on, on one weed stock. Yeah, yeah. They, some I'm of them get Ray, wrecked. I'm down like 50%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not investment advice. <laughs> no. Those are things that I follow quite actively. And obviously, I follow interest rates just because I was a bond trader for that long. You have no choice but to follow. That's interesting. Well, Nelson, thank you so much. Yeah, it was great. Really appreciate you coming on the show. And 
You'll have to come back again sometime. I would love we'll, to. I was, it was a fun conversation. Yeah. Hopefully, I, I represent it and, um, you know, love to be back. And, represent uh, Jesse and the yeah, Bronx yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. The boogie down. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. You got it. Thanks. Thanks, Nelson. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Scoop. We hope you tune in next time. And don't forget to subscribe and favorite wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app on the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer payments app to support Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to turn cash into crypto. Cash App now supports Bitcoin deposits in-app, so be sure to move your Bitcoin from whatever wallet you're using to Cash App. Don't have any to deposit? Cash App is also the most convenient way to instantly buy and sell Bitcoin. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfers to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code. It's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider like Cash Card, a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, and places like Chick-fil-A. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play, and I hope you enjoy the episode.